everybody. Welcome. This is episode four of the Emotional Grizzly Bear. We have a new new name now, new branding. Turns out I was oh, I- copywriting another podcast, <laughs> Dad Jeans Podcast. I just found it the other day. I was like, oops. That'll happen. And uh, yeah, I was uh, I played it back, you know, just to see if they were doing recent recordings. They are, and they seem like a nice group of guys. So I just wanted to avoid that whole conversation. We got the cease and desist. We got the message. Yeah, we got, yeah it's a, it's in a, okay. it's in court sale. Uh, but anyways, we are. Uh, I have. I'm lucky enough to have uh, my buddy TJ Millard. Am I saying your last name properly, Millard? Millard, yeah. TJ Millard. Not many people say it correctly. A lot of people say Millard, and I don't correct them because I just have other things to do. Right, right. No, you're you're, you're a busy guy. <laughs> let's, let's, get let's go. But yeah, let's uh, go. <laughs> I've been thinking about it all morning. Looking at the spell. At uh, looking at the spelling, is it Millard or Millard? It doesn't look like Millard. It is Millard, and I got it. Like, I agree. I don't think it looks like Millard. It's Millard. It's but, like um, it's almost like the duck, Mallard. Right, Mallard duck. Yeah, just like the duck. <laughs> yeah. So TJ is. Uh, you're currently a drone cinematographer in LA. Mm-hmm. Uh, a former Apache helicopter pilot in the yeah. United States Army. Army. United States Army. Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much for jumping on, man. I appreciate it. I know you have a super busy schedule. And uh, no, absolutely. Yeah, no, this this is exciting. You're actually the first guest on uh, this podcast. So hey, you're kicking things off. And happy uh, to be we're here. Kicking... thanks for having me as the first guest. That's an honor, right? Yeah. Well, yeah, no, this is fun. I'm really excited to talk to you. Um, so I'm going to jump right into it. And uh, I, I want to go back to your your days in the military as an mm. Apache pilot. Those days. Yes. Yeah. Those <laughs> days. So I like how, how long ago was that? Like, when did you first start your basic training, uh, boot camp, and all that? Like, when did that journey be- begin for you? I joined the military in uh, March of 2011. Uh, that's when I went to boot camp and, and uh, basic training and did all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I then went to, uh, you want like the whole story there? Like, like that. that no, I mean, like you can paraphrase. Uh, you don't have to yeah, go yeah, the whole yeah. thing, but so, I mean, know, if there's anything that, you know, is juicy that we need to hear. <laughs> yeah. So basic training, 2011, bunch of other stuff in between yeah. started flying helicopters same year, 2011. Um, and that was just like a little news chopper. They kind of teach you how to, you know, not to kill yourself flying around. And, uh, right. And then, um, I uh, jumped into the Apache airframe in uh, 2012, graduated 2013, and went to Fort Carson, Colorado for my first duty station. Had great times. Colorado's a beautiful, beautiful state. And uh, yeah, just a, a real pleasure flying that monster and uh, and performing the mission that it is meant to do, which is, you know, protecting the ground soldiers and, of course. and doing all that. I grew up in Mesa, Arizona, which is where they make the Apache helicopter. And oh, wow. uh, my dad and stepmom both worked for Boeing, uh, actually making the helicopter. Um, wow. And so, yeah. So let's say uh, seventh, eighth grade, I remember going to work with my dad and they had an Apache out on the flight line. The engines were running and I, uh, I got to sit in the front seat and, you know, move the camera around and, and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, well, this is pretty cool. Uh, I'm going to do this. And so then I made the mistake of telling all these people that I was going to go be an Apache pilot and I didn't want to look like a liar. So then I had to go do it. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. <laughs> well, that's incredible that you had that dream. I had a similar dream, you know, wanting to fly uh, Apaches and uh, other jet fighters, F-16 yeah. Falcons. I had the flight simulator games, mm. um, but I, I never turned that into a reality. But you actually were able to. That was a journey. That was uh, being told no a lot. <laughs> yeah, and, and me uh, being like, oh, actually, it's a yes. 
So who's telling you no and why? Mm, well, so the first time I applied to go fly, yeah. uh, I was in high school. I was a, a senior in high school and I dropped out. The Army is the only branch of the military that has a high school to flight school program that was invented back in Vietnam because Very we cool. were losing so many pilots right. uh, during the war. So they were literally taking kids out of high school and teaching them how to fly. High school. Fast. Yeah. Fast forward. Wow. Um, the program still exists. It's the only branch of the military that you can fly without a college degree. Uh, and so, you know, here I am a high school, you know, 17 year old dropping a packet to go fly $50 million Apaches. Uh, and the packet went through, did my board, you know, you have to get interviewed by a couple of different people and then take just a plethora of tests. Everything was great. I mean, the scores were, were, where they needed to be. It was just the wrong time, wrong place. You right. know, maybe there were better applicants that day or, or, you know, more qualified college right. degrees already had pilot's license, whatever. Um, I didn't get picked up. They said no. Uh, and so I actually moved to Las Vegas, went to college over at UNLV. Yeah. I saw some helicopters flying over one day and I said, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I got to do it while I'm young. So I, uh, I dropped another packet. I got picked up and, uh, and went to flight school. So dropping a packet, that's kind of like your, you're dropping your application with your, your whole resume, talking about who you are, where you come from, what your skill sets are. Yeah. So the army definitely does not make it easy to, to just drop a packet. It is a six, six to nine month long process of of testing and, uh, you know, flight physicals, other physicals. Um, yeah, it's, it's extensive. Can you go into detail in some of the more intense, uh, areas of the the flight packet application? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, think nobody knows what it's like to apply to be an Apache helicopter. That that seems (laughs) for me, uh, to be one of the most prestigious jobs that you can have in the army. It's uh, it was a, a really, it was an honor, um, to, to strap that helicopter on and go fly it around and, and perform its mission, uh, was, was really an honor. Oh, the I'm helicopter strapped you on. Yeah. yeah I mean, we caught, <laughs> you really, you, when you, when you put that seatbelt on, you feel like you're one with, with the machine That's it's, amazing. Just, it's holding you in and you're just like moving it around. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, you know, the, the flight school application packet is, is like I said, quite lengthy. Um, we're talking, you're, you're going to start with an ASVAB test, which is what everybody who wants to join the military takes. Yeah. And, uh, I apologize if I messed something up here because I haven't done this in 13 years, something like that. I, I, what, no, yeah, about okay. 10, 10, 10, 10, 11, but anyway, you do the ASVAB and then, uh, you know, depending, you have to score a certain GT score, which is a combination of like math and, uh, uh uh, reading comprehension. So those, that's those two put together, have a certain score. You have to meet that mark. Then we go into, uh, just your normal join the military physical, which is where they try and disqualify a lot of people for just whatever. Um, after that you go and you take the, uh, the a fast, which is the army flight aptitude, uh, standardization test. Yeah. I believe that's what it's called. And so that was, it's changed since I took it, but it's a very, it, when I took it, it was a very different tests. Like you could study for parts of it, but a large portion of it was personality questions. Would you rather go to the dentist or pick a blister off your friend's foot? Like weird questions of just like grasping kind of who you are. Trying to see if you're a team player, like if you'd help the other guy. Yeah. I, I don't know. I don't know what they, what they were asking for out of some of those questions, but that was the personality side. There was a lot of spatial awareness, um, a little bit of, uh, a little bit of math, um, 
and then and then you know they they throw a score together for that thing it's uh, the math is is wild on that but anyway um the once you finish that process you go to uh an oral board which is an, in, an interview with three army officers yeah. so you go in you put on your put on your sunday best and uh and get interviewed by by three of uh three of the army officers there and they're gonna ask you a couple of questions about who you are as a person so which, why you want to do this yeah yeah um, and you know, not coming from having never been in the military at this point in time, you know, you're sitting across the board from, from three guys who are, you know, war fighters and you're like, man, should I be here? Like it is, right. is this a little intimidating, you know? Um, and so, uh, yeah, so you, you, you'll go ahead and knock that one out and then that pretty much completes the packet. And that, like I said, takes, takes place over the course of a couple months. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. And then it's a waiting game. And then the, the, all your all everyone who applied to go be a warrant officer, yeah. that's essentially the position you're applying for. You're not applying for a pilot. You're applying for a, a warrant officer. Right. Right. And that all gets sent to uh, a board in Fort Knox, Kentucky. And they hold this board. And they say yeah. they start going through these these packets. And they say this guy, this guy, this girl, this whatever. And uh, and yeah, that's incredible. I got picked. So so you said you're applying to become a warrant officer and then you have to mm-hmm. become the pilot. Yeah. I mean, you you are applying to be a pilot. It's, yeah. a, it's you're just on paper. You're applying to be a warrant officer candidate, right? So. That's the, the entry rank or whatever. And then you can go up to right. your next status. So yeah. what is the, what is the timeline and process to now become, to get yourself into the cockpit? That's another, I mean, before you set foot in an Apache or in your, or in your, you know, the airframe that you're looking to fly, whether it's a, now it would be a Chinook, uh, a Ka- or not a Kiowa, a Chinook, a um, Blackhawk or an Apache are the yeah. three, I believe, main platforms right now. Um, by the time you, you, you know, if you go from basic training to first day in that cockpit, you're probably looking at around a year and a half. Year and a half. Okay. Yep. That's exciting. That is, that's incredible. So, okay. When, when you found out that your packet was accepted. Yeah. What was your reaction and where were you? I was in my bedroom. It was probably 10 o'clock in the morning. I saw the recruiter's number come up and uh, I answered it. His name was uh, Sergeant Sanderson. And he said, he said, hey, stud. I was like, what's up, sir? You know, how's it going? He's like, pack your bags. You're going to flight school. And I was like, all right, let's do this. That's exciting. So it was, it was, I just remember it was, you know, the chills going up the back of the neck and all that kind of stuff. It was, it was pretty surreal. So. For sure. And yeah. now at flight school, I just saw Top Gun 2 mm. with Tom Cruise. Yeah. Have you seen it? Yeah, man. It's a great movie. That's one of the best movies great I've movie. ever seen, actually. Like, kill yeah. it. I you know, it. there was there was so much so many elements of like cheese ball, but it was like grandfathered in because right. of being Top Gun, you know? And uh yeah, just a, a great movie. I gotta give props to, to uh, a good friend of mine, Kevin LaRosa. He did all the aerials flying the jet on that film. So he, I was going to ask you, I was going to yeah. ask you if somehow you were involved or knew someone because it seemed like, like you're, you're one of the top drone cinematographers now in the area. And so you would have had to known or potentially have been a part of that. So that's super cool to hear. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, he crushed it and um, just Diff, overall yeah. incredible pilot and, and talented dude. So, now at flight school, is there that um, kind of competitive vibe, you know, like in Top Gun when everybody's showing up and they're all like, I'm the greatest <laughs> pilot. I'm the <laughs> handsomest. Yeah, I, I, I can uh, do all these trick shots on the pool table. Uh, no, I mean, there's definitely a little bit of, uh, you know, there's some egos there. But 
ultimately everyone's there just trying to learn to fly helicopter. Right. Man. Like we're, we're no one knows any more than the next guy. We're all coming in fresh. You're all new. You're all new. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And like you, the thing is you don't want to be this outcast, you know, top gun maverick. Like right. you're a, you're a team player. Like if you're, if you're not on the team, you don't want to be there. Like it's, it's right. not a, not a fun place to be. Right. So yeah. that kind of makes me, that kind of makes me think in the film Top Gun, they hired mm-hmm. all of the wrong people uh, with, uh, <laughs> with egos wanting to be the best and the top dog. But in reality, yeah. you're actually looking for a group of individuals that want to work together because ultimately that's how you're going to be more successful. Always working together, you get more done, right? Um, but the, uh, I, I think the, the objective in Top Gun was the maneuvers that they were going to do and all that yeah. kind of stuff. Like yeah. not everyone could do it. It was, they needed the best. Yeah. And, uh, and well, that so mission, that's why they yeah. called in those guys. Yeah. Now, so, can we fast forward a little bit to your first yeah. mission, your first real mission? Hmm. First mission. So I deployed to Iraq in uh, December of 2016. We were headed there to help retake the city of Mosul uh, from ISIS. Um, however, the the troop that I was a part of, we went to uh, Taji first uh, yeah. when we first arrived in Iraq. And so we spent a couple months in Taji. And uh, I believe the first real world call that I responded to um, I was on a function called QRF, uh, mm-hmm. Quick Reaction Force, mm-hmm. which is, uh, you know, where it's, it's, it's 12 hour shifts. And I was on the night shift, which is great because that's the fun time to be be awake. Yeah. And so uh, we we I recall we were, you know, sitting in the sitting in the little pilot area where we all kind of just lounge out because we're, we're on call. We're waiting. Right. We're like firefighters at that point in time. And so we're, you know, playing Call of Duty, doing whatever. And the phone rings and they would do, they would do these training drills where they, you know, they, they bring the call and then they're like, Hey, launch, launch, launch. And you, you have to get into the truck. You're racing up to the aircraft and then you have to be up and ready to go. And I think our, I think our time was like 10 minutes. Like that, that's the, the requirement Off from the ground. Like phone call to Redcon one ready to go. Wow. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, so I don't recall the date, but you know, the phone rang and we're like, all right, here we go. We got a drill, you know, launch, launch, launch race out there. We got it down to seven minutes. We were, we were moving. Um, it's kind of, it's fine. You know, you're just doing the drills. It's, it's a fun thing to do. And so, uh, how is that even possible? Uh, seven minutes and you're ready to <laughs> fly. Yeah. So, I mean, everything's staged, right? right? When you get on shift, you put, I mean, we go get our LC vest, we get our weapon. Yeah. The helicopter is, I mean, just ready to turn a key, hit a button and the thing comes to life. Right. So, you know, we, we, the truck races up there. I throw my LC vest, climb into the front seat because I was flying front seat that night and uh, my buddy uh, Ian gets in the back and uh, I remember our, our platoon leader um, came up and he jumps on the jumps on the headset he's like hey guys this is real world and we're like both of us we're cause like we're both you know this is our first thing for both of us and we're both you're just like oh okay well let's turn these radios on and see what's going on here come on and so uh there was a Blackhawk that was taking fire flying into the embassy, uh, in Baghdad. Yeah. And so they launched, uh, two Apaches, uh, to go and, and provide cover for that Blackhawk as it was trying to, to land at Baghdad. And so, uh, Ian and I, and, and I forget who was flying the sister ship. We take off and we head on out there. And, um, I remember we started kind of circling around the airport and what we weren't seeing much Baghdad, like is much more built up, uh, than you would think like then what's portrayed in movies and 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 tv shows and stuff like that like it's a very 
built up, well lit city. It looks like any like flying over America. Like it's it's very well lit. Like any downtown and city so, with skyscrapers. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's not as many like skyscrapers, but it's still like you know a good established electrical grid. That, I mean, okay. at least from you know from the looks of it at night. And so we're flying around, and uh, we weren't seeing anything. And so I dropped my goggles down because you know you're seeing a, a different world under goggles versus FLIR. Uh, we fly FLIR, which is forward looking infrared. And uh, that's kind of how the Apache operates at night. Can you describe uh, that low- in layman's terms, like what that what that means? You're, yeah, you're so, seeing like um, the heat signature of everything. In a sense, yeah, yeah. And so what what we do is there's actually a phase in flight school because the Apache is the only helicopter, uh, I believe, in the world that operates like this, where we have a little, we wear a little mnemonic over our right eye, and mm-hmm. it's you know it's it's see through, so you can see through it. But there's also an image that's put on uh, on the on the glass reticle that's in front of your eye wow and so there's a phase in flight school called the bag and it's where they you you hop in the hop in the helicopter they black out the windows and uh and you have to fly the helicopter off of the image in your right eye and only your right eye so you have no outside reference and you're looking at you're looking at a view that is you know 10 feet in front of you and three feet down on the little on the nose of the helicopter that's where the camera's at so I move my head, the camera moves like this, right? But it can be very disorienting because, you know, you might move your head, but as you move your head around, you want, you want to start moving your hands right. and it, it can take a second to kind of start to realize, okay, I can move my head without moving my hands, you know? <laughs> so there's a lot of symbology in there that helps you recognize drift in the air, in the airframe. Right. Um, you know, whether you're climbing or descending, like horizon stuff, and things like that. And I like the yeah, basic. all kinds of things. Yeah. I have trouble yep. playing Nintendo Wii, you know, with the handle. <laughs> so I, I can't imagine. It's, it takes time. It definitely yeah. takes time. Um, but, uh, yeah. So anyways, uh, where I was going with that was we're flying over Baghdad under FLIR. You can't see certain things that you can see under goggles. So I dropped my goggles down and Ian's in the backseat flying FLIR. And as we're making a turn, I see uh, tracers, uh, machine gun fire coming up in front of us. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> you know, like that looks like uh, that looks like bullets. eh?" And so uh, I'm like, hey, dude, come right, come right, come right. And so we, we start coming right a little bit. And we were flying probably like 2000, 2500 feet, something like that. So the bullets going a little bit slower. You can still see like you can see it. Coming so so out, they're, they're shooting at you. You're taking fire. Yeah, but it's. We, it wasn't like an ambush attack or something like that. It's these dudes who go out and they, they go in their backyard. They fire they up just, a machine they, gun. They, they go back aircraft. inside. Yeah, they shoot. Okay. Exactly. They don't want us there. And I get, you know, whatever. Um, and so they, 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 you know, fired off the machine guns and then that go back inside. It's, it's one of those things where we can't even really do anything about it right. because by the time, by the time you're able to locate in this, you know, grid of houses where this is coming from, the dude's already gone back inside. It, it, he's, forgotten about it you know and so you got to just it's one of those things you have to learn to live with a little bit uh you can mark you know maybe start to hone in on an area where it may have come from lock a grid in and and give it to the give it to the s2 and and try and get some intel but you know so so what does that mean lock lock in the grid and give it to the s2 is the s2 another aircraft or another uh s2 is just what we would uh refer to as like the intelligence of of the okay the so base. you're you're yeah. letting people know you're updating the intelligence of the region yep. of what you're saying just so everybody's aware yep. of where things are happening exactly so now the next guy that goes out and flies he yeah. is hey dude i think i saw something at you know yeah. my goal and then a grid whatever you know and so they'll maybe avoid that area a little bit more right 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 and so you sound very 
comfortable. I, I'm sure um, in the moment it was a little more hectic for you emotionally. Or do you do you understand by seeing the type of tracer fire that your your vehicle, your helicopter is well armored enough that you don't really have to worry about that type of fire? It's uh, there's always a concern in your head, you yeah. know, uh, uh, you know, is this going to hit us? Is this going to hit the tail rotors? Is this going to hit the main rotor? Um, but when 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 the helicopter's still flying, you have a mission to do. Right. And that's what kind of takes over as your main focus. Right. Uh, I'm going to continue to do my mission until this helicopter no longer wants to cooperate with with what we're trying to do. So if the helicopter's having, you know, flight problems, it, it, the engines or the right. rotors or something like that, that requires our attention and we need to. Now that's the priority of just getting the helicopter back on the ground. That's right. one thing. But until that happens, my priority is the is is you know what we're looking at on the ground or or, or the mission in general. So I wanted to ask you about that, and then I want to come back to going through the mission. But um, the training, how did they how do they get you tuned to the point where you can keep that focus and be so locked in on your mission that you're not distracted by any external. I don't know, um, by incoming enemy fire that for me would cause me to lose my mind completely. <laughs> I think it starts, it, honestly, dude, if I could look back at, at where they start to build that into you, yeah, would be um, Dunker. Uh, and Dunker's where you're, you, you know, you, I think you, they, they showed a little bit of it on like behind the scenes of Top Gun and stuff like that, yeah. but you're strapped into a seat in a, yeah. in a, helicopter fuselage yeah. above a pool yeah. and then they 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 dunk it in the water yeah. and flip it upside down and then once it stops and you're upside down then you have to unbuckle and get out but we go through various phases of that and you know one of the phases that we go through is doing it blindfolded and then you have to do one with oxygen and one without oxygen and so you have to demonstrate the ability to utilize the heeds bottle which is a little underwater breathing apparatus that, you know, gives you two minutes or whatever of, of breath time. So they want you to flip upside down. You got the water rushing up your nose because you don't have goggles on. It's, it's just all going up. And so you're very uncomfortable. You're upside down. You're now holding your breath in a situation that, you know, hey, could go south if something happens, I guess. Um, and you have to remain calm under this pressure. And, and you're like, all right. I mean, it's fine. You know what we're doing. I'm right. blindfolded, but I know there's a door right here and I can follow this crossbar over here. Once you grab onto something, you never want to let go because that's your reference of the airframe. Right. So, right. Um, and so, uh, yeah. So I think it's just, it's, that's kind of where I started just, Hey, you gotta relax. Right. There's a mission to do. And that's where your brain needs to be at that point in time. You know, the panic doesn't help anyone. What did you say before, um, about, getting ready when the call comes in, you said everything is staged, right? Yeah. So like you have every stage um, already lined up and you know how you're supposed to act to get from one stage to the next. So that to me sounds like when, when you're out there in a real mission, you have so many stages already embedded in your mind that you know instantly how to respond to most, if not all possible scenarios. Like, you know, what step or stage to go to next without even thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, that's not necessarily when I say the stages, that's just for getting the air, the airframe off the ground, getting the helicopter up in the air. Um, and so, uh, that's, you know, having the gear ready. Cause when you, when you come on shift, right. we put our, we put our vests on the rocket pod, you know, it's, right. it's ready to go. We throw that on. And, and I think we just try and do things that you become, you become so robotic, uh, because we train it over and exactly. over and over yeah. and over again, you know? So, 
uh, you're tuning radios, you're doing all this kind of stuff, just like yeah. in, instant. Yeah, it's, th- it's, that's what I mean. Like, okay, fire starts coming in and you say, okay, let's veer, let's veer right. Like, you know, you have to take an evasive maneuver. That's another stage. Yeah. But, I think, I think, I mean, that's frankly, I think anyone would do that. Like, well, those are bullets. We should fly yeah. away from that. <laughs> you know, so. Nose dive towards it. Yeah. Let's go. Let's go fly <laughs> over that. That looks fun. Um, yeah. So, uh, I, I, it's training. It's, it's, there's a reason. I mean, yeah, I think they say it takes about a million dollars to train each army pilot. Right. So, I mean, they're, they, the government is spending, spending taxpayer money and, and developing the best warfighter that they can, that they can create. It's incredible. It's incredible. Um, okay, so let's go back and continue. We're in we're in Baghdad, and you're seeing the the lighting of the city, and you're talking about the electrical grid, and um, you've reported to S two about the location of that. Um, yeah, you know, we, we called it in. We we called we called the we called the talk that hey, we're taking fire over this grid, whatever it was. Um, and and like I said, there was nothing really that we can do. Right. Uh, we're, we're not going to start launching missiles at at a supposed house like it. Hellfire it happened. The dude, the, yeah, the dude went. Uh, the dude went inside. Like yeah. it's over, you know. And that was, I, I mean, it wasn't like crazy exciting. I mean, we got shot at, but yeah. that was the first mission. We he, the dude, no more fire. Usually, when the Apaches come around, people don't want to play anymore. I right. don't, you know. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, yeah, they uh, they they went inside. We went back home, and and that was it. That was went it. Okay, playing. okay. Yeah, we went back lifting weights or Call of Duty or something. Lifting weights, yeah, right back <laughs> onto Xbox. That's so funny thinking about you guys playing Call of Duty, you know, in Baghdad. I love it. Yeah. Uh, okay, so I so let's go back to kind of emotionally where you were at. I'm just trying to think of that moment when you thought it was a training exercise and then you're in the cockpit and suddenly you get the green light that it's real world. I mean, yeah. would that not mess you up a little bit? It, it changed the, it changed the, the dynamic a little bit. Like in an instant uh, boom. Yeah. It, yeah. Like a, a, a very real rush of adrenaline. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if you think you're alert, I mean, when that, when that call came in, in like real world, I mean, you are just, eyes wide open. Those people are right. dilated, just ready to, I mean, take in everything, you know? And yeah. so, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite a rush. Was there ever a time, uh, during your active duty or any of your missions where you kind of surprised yourself, um, uh, as to what you're capable of? I think we were, we were doing a training mission in, uh, in Fort Irwin, California. Um, and our, uh, our helicopter, we were, we were doing a training exercise where we had about a hundred infantry dunes below us and two Apaches kind of sitting above, uh, those dudes. We were, we were launching some rockets downrange at some targets that they were, that they were lazing. And so we're sitting there at a hover and, uh, my buddy Chris is in the back and I was, I was a very, very new pilot at the time. Um, and so we sitting there launching rockets full moon night and out of nowhere, you know, I, I pulled the trigger on a, on a rocket goes down range. And then the entire helicopter just goes pitch black. My, my, my camera and my eye goes out the, all of the instrumentation, every single light in the helicopter went out. It makes some, you know, it's like rah, the engine kind of revs up it's like, rah, and you to the left. And I'm like, Oh my, like this might be it, you know? And so, um, I can't talk to Chris anymore. Cause the, the, the battery's not working with, with or the communication system and the helicopter's not working, uh, between our, our seats. And so, um, the helicopter's still flying. I can feel Chris on the controls because, you know, my hands immediately went down to the controls and came off the rocket system just to make sure both of us were, you know, feeling yeah. the helicopter. Yeah. And so uh, 
So we, we train in flight school to, to, to acknowledge that someone has the helicopter and, you know, I can feel him on the controls. And so uh, he goes ahead and resets one of the generators. My systems all came back up and then we could talk. His were, his were still down, though. And yeah. so um, we just had a laundry list of stuff come down. Our little uh, information panel up on the top right there tells us everything that's going on with the helicopter. And it was a laundry list of things wrong with the helicopter, some of which required a, a more immediate sense of action. Right. So uh, I, I kind of read the stuff off to Chris. I'm like, dude, we got to put this thing on the ground now. Mm-hmm. And so uh, so we landed that helicopter uh, just, you know, immediately. And they uh, they had to come out and replace an entire transmission in the middle of the desert because, uh, you know, we were flying these brand new helicopters. Yeah. And uh, and they were still we were kind of like, you know, testing them out still, I guess. Wow. <laughs> so, yeah, that was that was exciting. I won't forget that night for the rest of my life. But, That's uh, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, but but being able to to kind of stay calm and, and continue to fly the helicopter. Right. Yeah. I mean, if it's, if the helicopter's still in the air, that's, that's what we're doing and it wasn't falling. So we're flying. Well, And the fact that you're still able to sit there, you know, somewhat composed and go through the laundry list of items that are errors that need to be attended yeah. to, uh, while flying and then while figuring out how to get it on the ground. I mean, that's, uh, that's impressive right there. And that just shows how top notch the training actually is. It's incredible. Yeah. Yeah. They, they put a lot of time and effort into it. So was there ever a time on a mission where you thought you might not make it back? Mm, no, not, I never had, you know, I never experienced that. I know there's a lot of early on in the war, there were probably a lot of pilots who did. Um, it was a much different battlefield, yeah. uh, early, early years of Iraq. Um, and those guys, you know, my hat's off to them. Uh, mm. and, and the, the, you know, in the immediate sense of danger, just continuing to charge forward and, and, and do what needed to be done. It's heroic. It's um, I like, yep. I, I, I still can't even understand it, how you can get to that point mentally, like, like that courage and bravery to just keep on pushing forward. I suppose it's, again, you're just so hyper-focused on, on, on the mission and when something happens, you'll, you'll react to it. Yeah. It still takes a, a certain type of person, I would say for sure. Mm-hmm. I do want to move on to the drone cinematography soon, but I just have a couple more questions because this part for me was so fascinating when I was, you know, making notes of what I wanted to ask, because again, you're flying Apaches. My dream job is a, as a child. <laughs> and I'm sure there are millions of people that would, you know, millions of kids out there or other guys that, you know, wish they could even sit in the cockpit, <laughs> you know? Yeah, um, it's, it is a machine. So let's talk about uh, your retirement. Coming out of the military, yeah, you had some um, uh, some medical reasons that uh, caused you to. I don't know how you want to talk about this one, but uh, yeah, no, I, I'm I feel you know comfortable talking about all that. I mean, it's a it's a part of my life. So um, yeah, while we were deployed uh, downrange, um, I, I had to get a, a anthrax shot while we were there because we they want you to be protected against anthrax, which uh, I won't get into because I mean, there hasn't been an anthrax incident. Yeah. since let's say 2001 or two, whatever. And I don't even know about that one, but anyway, we have to get this shot and, uh, my body did not like it. And so, uh, it actually started to generate a, um, an autoimmune condition that later was found out to be, uh, called eosinophilic fasciitis, which is a infiltration of your white blood cells. Um, I'm sorry. It is a infiltration of your fascia by white blood cells. Um, and so, you know, I, I, my, my 
fingers and my limbs all started to kind of to close like this. Yeah. My, my elbows started to come in or, or my arms started to bend like this. My fingers started to do this and yeah. everything. My skin was, was not loose anymore. It was, it was like wood. Oh my it was, goodness. It was, it was very hard. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I couldn't open up my hands. I couldn't do a lot of things like that. And so it was, it was a extremely scary time in my life. Cause I went from, I went from, you know, competing in, in physique shows and, and doing fitness magazines uh, to barely being able to walk over the course of, of a couple of months. So it affected uh, your whole body. Oh yeah. Yeah. And so the, the, I remember the guy at the hospital saying, you know, after they had diagnosed it and I started, I started a prednisone regimen, which is a, like the king of anti-inflammatories. Yeah. Um, uh, they had to bring down the eosinophil count because I guess mine was at a point where had it, had it existed where it was at for a little bit longer or continued to climb, it could have led more into something like lymphoma and yeah. maybe not been as, uh, as recoverable. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that was that. I mean, I look at, I look at all the time and effort that I put into army training and then I'm like, well, that was nothing compared to, to, to the amount of effort that it took to, to recover from this. Oh my goodness. Uh, uh, yeah, it was not even a, not even a drop in the bucket. Um, but it, uh, it was a, a, a very trying time and, uh, you know, going to rehab every single day for, for six months, uh, getting, wow. getting scraped on and, you know, taking all these different drugs yeah. and, and all that kind of stuff to, to try and get some movement back. And, uh, yeah, dude, I was trying everything under the sun. I met up personally with, uh, with, uh, Wim Hof, the Iceman. We went yeah. up flying in Canada. We went into some glacier water together. I mean, I was throwing everything at this to try and, and, and get that immune response down. Um, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not a huge proponent of, uh, just staying on opioids and, and, and medications for the rest of your life. Right. Um, no, of course it's, not. it's, uh, I think it's just terrible for you. So I really wanted to find a way to come off of that. Uh, if possible, I don't um, think you would, so, I don't think you would, um, be sounding as sharp as you do today. Had you stayed on opioids <laughs> for the entire duration? I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't, know, prednisone, I don't prednisone think prednisone is considered opioid. opioid. No, but um, yeah, had yeah, they moved anyway, you up. Yeah. Who knows? Yeah. Pain medications and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, Wim Hof though, no, like did that experience in the cold plunging, did that have any positive, uh, benefits for you? I, I think it did. I think it did. I, I gotta tell you, um, I really don't like the cold still. <laughs> Neither do I. I started doing cold plunges yeah. a couple of weeks ago. It's tough. It, I find it gets yeah. more difficult every subsequent time that you attempt it. Yep. It's, it's one of those things you definitely have to get used to. Um, but you don't. And, but you don't. No. Exactly. Each time it just wakes you up and it sucks. Yeah, you can't breathe. <laughs> you know, he says he likes it. I don't know if I believe him. There's no way he likes it. <laughs> he <laughs> likes the attention and the attention yeah. feels the adrenaline Maybe. rush and he knows how to bring it on even further. Maybe he does like, it. I don't know. I think, you know what though? I, he's a, he was a very kind man and, and I've, I've watched a lot of videos behind the stuff that he does. And, um, just the results are speak for themselves. You know, yeah. I, I've, have you seen the Stanford experiment that they did with him? I haven't. I actually ran into him coincidentally while I was flying a drone in Iceland. Oh really? Yeah. Uh, tell, tell me oh, about that cool. uh, thing though, really quick. And then I'll tell you about well, that. So uh, this, yeah, this is something that really turned me on to him was they, they took whim and they, they, I believe it was in Stanford. They, um, injected him. They had him, you know, on a hospital bed and they actually had a couple other people, uh, who were, were, uh, 
kind of read into his training method right. and, and knew how to, how to utilize his method right. also in beds next to him. And they, they hooked them all up to IVs and induced, uh, E. coli into their system. And wow. so E. coli is supposed to generate a fever, um, you know, nausea, all kinds of symptoms that you're going to, you're going to feel very ill. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a bacteria, I believe. And so he goes ahead and he starts to do his, his breathing technique and his mindfulness. And, uh, the dude doesn't have symptoms Come and on. Neither, does, neither does anyone else who's, who's performing his method in this, in this trial. And I'm like, well, that's interesting. That is you interesting. Know, he, he's, he's controlling his autonomic nervous system via his breathing technique right. and his, and his, and his, his mindset, wherever he's um, going. That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. That's incredible. So, you know, uh, there's, there's something to it. I, I don't know if we found exactly what it is yet, but, I've been trying to, you know, use his breathing method before I go into a cold plunge uh, at this uh, place here in Toronto called Beaches Hot Yoga. They have, um, I think it's like four degrees Celsius, the water. They have mm. a tank that'll, that'll keep it there. And so yep. I'll do the 30 to 50 power breaths and then exhale yep. and hold the exhale as long as I can yeah. and then take one more big breath in. And like, what's, you what's your time? What's your time then when you're, when you're exhaled? Like 20 seconds is good for me. Oh, really? Like that's where okay. I feel good enough to move on. I could push it further yeah. if I had to. I'm sitting next to the cold plunge tank. Mm -hmm. And when I get to the point where I'm exhaling, I'm also thinking about, okay, this means that now I have to get into the tank because this is the end of my process. <laughs> and so I just kind of want to get it over with. And sometimes I'll count to 10 and I'll say, F it, I'm going in. Because I just want to, yep. I don't know, I'm still anxious about it. Because now it's even worse because okay. I know how cold it is and I know how my body's going to respond. And so it makes yep. it more difficult, but I, I do feel the heart. I, I feel my heart slowing down on that exhale. Like at first yep. you're kind of, it's like boom, 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 boom. But then it's, it's slow. It's like boom, boom. And you're so calm, oh, yeah. like so calm yep. that you feel different. Like you feel like something's happening, yeah. but I, it's weird, man. If, like, if you've never done his method, yeah. it, it, try it one day, you know, do it for a couple of days in a row. Yeah. You'll go from, you know, it, it's wild because if you, if you, if you were to sit here and take a deep breath, yeah. you're like, you know, and hold it, yeah. you, I mean, you might get a minute, you know, something like that. Yeah. Now you, you, you hyper oxygenate the body and you, you exhale. So you have no air in your yeah. lungs and you'll sit there for three minutes. So we went, uh, I have to shout out my buddy, uh, my buddy, Ed Russell. He's a, a helicopter pilot up in Vancouver. Actually, yeah. if you ever make it out there, you got to go flying with him. He yeah. has a uh, hunter helicopters and oh, that's who took, uh, myself and Wim flying. Um, wow. when we went up to the, we went up to this, uh, uh hot springs. And yeah. so we, we fly up the river. Uh, Ed takes us to this part where it's like on one side, it's, it's 105 degree water, you know, something, it's like a jacuzzi. Right. Wow. And you literally dip your hand over the other, uh, over the edge yeah. and it's glacier water. Wow. And I'm like, Whoa. And so we got women in the jacuzzi and he's like, all right, it's time to get into the, no. time to get into the cold. And he's just see, you know, his whole breathe motherfucker. <laughs> that's, that's his yeah, thing. That's what it, and so, you know, we're just, we're just in the, in the freezing water and he's just, he loves it. I don't know. Oh um, my gosh. That's I mean, he did, he, so did, cool. he did Everest in shorts. So, you know, the guys, the guys, yeah, another animal. He's an animal. Shorts mm -hmm. and a t-shirt. Most people yeah. are on oxygen tanks and the full, the full gear. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah. I mean, that says a lot right there. You're now retired from the military. Do you think you would still yep. be flying if it weren't for the um, autoimmune? Uh, yeah, I think so. I was actually, uh, I was slotted to meet with a buddy of mine who 
who belong to an organization that does a little bit more clandestine operations. Yeah. Um, and so I was, I was kind of looking at going, going that route with my career yeah. a little bit. Um, and so I, I mean, if I were to take a guess, I'd probably be doing something like that right now. Right. Uh, had I not kind of ran down this path. For sure. For sure. And, uh, so, so let's talk about, um, transitioning into a civilian life, you know, coming out of the military quite rapidly with your, um, with the, with the medical issues that you had and the, the rigorous, um, you know, therapy that you had to go through physical therapy to get back to where you are now. How, how, how do you feel now physically with your body after that whole incident? Like, are you a hundred percent or do you still? No, no. I mean, I think mobility wise, I gained a lot back and that was, that was a challenge. That was not easy. Um, but in terms of, uh, just overall health. I think yeah. there's days when I still find myself waking up and I'm like, well, today's going to be a day on the couch. Like I yeah. just, I am just fatigued, you know, yeah. and it's, uh, I don't know if it's my body clearing, clearing out yeah. whatever it is, or if it's just still active, um, uh, autoimmune condition. I don't know. Um, but, uh, a f- considerably better from where I was. Um, I'm very grateful for that. It was a lot of work. Now, I like to talk about uh, like the mental aspect on this show a lot as well. Like, um, you know, having these like you probably had some doubts, you know, transitioning um, out of the military and having that condition and just wondering where you were going to be able to go next and how you'd be able to perform. How did you push yourself mentally to keep going and, uh, you know, to rest when you had to and then to really give it your all when you knew you had to? Yeah, I don't know, man. It's. I think I'm a little, I don't want to say I'm different than, than a lot of people. I was I just going to say, you seem to have an interesting type of personality that is very <laughs> confident, very sure of himself, not in, a, not in an arrogant way, but I, I feel like you just know yourself. Like, you know yourself I, very well. I do. And I, I just, I have, um, it's kind of hard to describe, but like when I want to do something, yeah. I have, uh, like if I'm actually committed to it and my, you know, my, my soul wants to do it. I have laser, like it's a laser focus. I can turn a switch on and off. You're the like, kid that said he's going to fly Apaches and then he did yeah, it. Exactly. You know, yeah. and, and when I, when, when, when the laser's on, I mean, yeah. it just, it just happens. Like that's, that's where my focus goes. That's where my energy goes. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I, I think luck is just, uh, luck is just when preparation meets opportunity and I, I like to stay prepared. So for sure. And, and I've been fortunate for, for some great opportunities out here. Now, uh, let's talk about, um, drone cinematography, how you got into that. And then I want to talk about your fitness regime, like what your, what your lack thereof these days. (laughs) Yeah. Or, uh, you know, even before, I think before the military, you said you were doing some bodybuilding and you were in competitions. I want to get to that. So let's, uh, drone cinematography. How did you transition into that? How did you decide you were going to film? Um, and how did you transition your skill set from being an Apache pilot to a drone cinematographer? Uh, I think that started back in my first duty station. Um, they had some drones coming out. It was DJI. They, they kind of make their, like the drone leader in the space. I think everyone's familiar with like a Phantom or a Mavic or something like that. Uh, the, the original Phantom with no camera, no, not, it was just a drone that came out in 2013, I, I believe. And I picked it up and I lived out in the middle of nowhere, uh, on kind of near a range in Colorado. Yeah. And I just, I, I started flying this thing around. I'm like, man, this is, I mean, it's the first one I've ever flown. And I was just like, this is a lot of fun. You know, like I'm just buzzing around and, you know, I, I really enjoyed it. And then there was an opportunity to where the, you could, you could solder on 
you could solder on a GoPro onto the bottom of the drone and it would be like stabilized footage. And so here I am not knowing anything about any soldering or engineering or anything like that. And I yeah. start tearing this drone apart and I got the camera on there and, and, and it worked. It, it was a good, you know, a gimbal flying around or whatever. And it looked terrible. Um, the video was, was not, you know, I mean, it was, it was a camera flying around. Yeah. That, that, that's where I have to leave it off. But yeah. I mean, it was it, nothing you're going to see on a commercial or something like that, you know? Um, but it was really cool to see that. And so, uh, and so then the Inspire One came out, uh, which is a, a larger, a larger DJI drone. It was two person operation. One person drives the camera, one person flies the drone. And the image looked looked really, really good for the time. And I was like, OK, well, I'm pretty good at flying these things. Uh, you could make some money doing this. Like this is kind of like a helicopter in, in a way. I mean, I can go up in the sky and, you know, yeah. get pictures and stuff. So. I started, that's when my, that's when I started my drone cinematography career. I, you know, um, back in, I think 2014, 2015, when I got the yeah. Inspire one and I started doing uh, commercials for uh, some of the casinos in Las Vegas and nice. they needed, they needed aerial, the aerial shots of the casinos and, and moving shots. And I, you know, I've, I've had a camera in my hand since I was six years old. So I you love, have a background in, in, Oh yeah. 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 At least, I love um, as a hobby. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Making videos with my friends in high school and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, uh, um, yeah, that I, I, once I started cashing checks from, from, you know, making videos in Vegas, I was like, there's money to be made here in this. And I, I enjoy it. I don't even feel like it's, you know, I don't even feel like it's work. I just enjoy flying these things around. Yeah. And so, uh, and so when I, when I left the military and I moved to, to, uh, California, yeah. I was fortunate enough to have some, uh, some friends out here who were, Kind of, you know, already in different parts of the industry and Instagram. I, I cannot talk about Instagram enough in terms of the networking ability that it provided still to this day. But I, I learned about it back in, you know, 2015, 2016, yeah. when I was posting Apache pictures and I would have uh, my buddy who, you know, a friend now, Aaron Fitzgerald, who flies the Red Bull helicopter, you know, liking the stuff on that. I'm like, yeah. oh, dude, this this guy likes my stuff. Like, that's awesome. Of course he likes you posting <laughs> Apache pictures. To the point, though, where, yeah. you know, I fly out to California yeah. in, in 2015 and he takes me flying it. Yeah. And I'm wow. like, this is wild. This is like from Instagram. Wow. You know, and, and so and, and just build that friendship. And and so often since then, I have um, just made so many friends via that platform. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, you, you, you get to connect with a lot of people that you wouldn't normally connect with in your everyday life. And so, you know, you know like, what? Yeah. A lot of it has to be attributed to you being a handsome guy who flies <laughs> Apaches. I mean, let's not uh, skim over that. You're like the hot chick that doesn't know she's hot. <laughs> Gets every job. Yeah, I just right. made all these great friends somehow. <laughs> well, listen, there is there is definitely something to uh, to to the Apache pilot. Oh, yeah. What speeds are you flying at with the drone? Like if you're shooting a car commercial, like what kind of speed do you yeah, have to maintain? Yeah, so I mean, now we're getting into now we're getting into the the modern day stuff, and and I fly the Inspire Two, which has yeah. a top speed of around sixty miles an hour. Yeah, um, and cool. then I'm also flying the Alta X, which is a you know blade to blade tip across is about seven feet wide. We're flying you know big cameras underneath it. We're That's going big. 50, 60 miles an hour. Um, there's times when you know I work on all kinds of different shows from. Uh, one division to SWAT to yeah. SEAL team to just did a movie in New York. Um, lots of different projects that I've had the, the opportunity to work on. Uh, and uh, the the 
request from directors and DPs varies greatly. Yeah. Sometimes it, sometimes it's, Hey, will you bring the drone up to a hover? And they're just so stoked to have the aerial shot to the next one is, Hey, I need you to fly next to this car window at 60 miles an hour. And, uh, you know, come, come in from really high and then land on the window, you know, and, and as, we, as we continue to cruise and I'm like, okay, let's do this. And so, uh, there's, there's a, such a similar adrenaline rush when I'm flying, you know, if I'm especially flying some like the Alto, when, when we have a, we have a Alexa mini on there or, or a mini LF, you know, we're flying around $200,000 worth of gear yeah. and I'm ripping it three feet off the ground to, to chase a car. Like there's a, a very familiar adrenaline rush. Uh, that's when I intense. Do that, so. <laughs> Again, not a lot of people could handle that type of stress. It's a lot. I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I find it even more stressful than flying the helicopter. I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, you know. <laughs> I can imagine. And especially with everything that's riding on you getting that shot and all the people that are counting on you and all the yeah. money that's invested in the entire production and, and everything is waiting for you to get your job done. So yep. they can move on. That's it's a lot of pressure. So I mean, you know, hats my, uh, off to you. I, yeah, my battery is my my laptop battery is showing a low thing. Can we pause for a second? Yeah, uh, I I'm just gonna yeah. Let's pause. I'll stop recording okay. so I don't lose it. Let me just I, I gotta grab the charger real fast. Okay. Sorry about that. Oh, don't worry. I'm sorry <laughs> I've taken you so far into this. No, no, no. We're. Uh, Pretty much to the end of the story. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, no, that's it. There's nothing else. <clears throat> Let me just grab this here. This is great, though. I really appreciate it. Yeah, dude. I hope it's, uh, you know, I hope it works out for Works for out. Show. Come on. This is like the most exciting interview I've ever done. <laughs> I'm right, not even kidding. You. Well, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Oh, I appreciate I did, you I jumping on so quick. Did was, uh, was my buddy Ethan. He's got a podcast uh, called American Glutton. And he, uh, oh, he, we were talking about the, a lot of similar stuff, the patches and the, and the health stuff. I love it, man. I'm like, I'm so fascinated. I'm kind of like, uh, like I can even tell my voice is a little excited. I'm like, and then what about this? And then what about that? <laughs> it's just fun. You know, it's uh, not every day that you get to talk to somebody uh, like yourself. Um, okay. So I'm just going to make a mark here. And then, so let's, okay. My last question for the drone cinematography, yep. have you ever had a serious crash on set something or an incident that kind of messed things up? So in the five years that I've been flying drones out here, I did have, I had one thing that happened and frankly, um, <laughs> It was, it, the winds were gusting, uh, probably around 45 to 55 miles an hour. We were out in, uh, like a desert area with some low lying brush, a couple dead trees around. And the DP wanted me to, to run this shot where I flew about, flew about a mile out and then brought it back. Supposed to be going, you know, really fast towards the, the, the yeah. building that we were trying to show. And I just, I remember telling him that I was like, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm flying into the wind. So we're not going to be able to go much faster than, than I've been getting these past, you know, we, we probably did 15, 15 takes of it. And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. We, we were honestly just trying to catch like a break in the wind each time we did. Yeah. It. And so to, to get some speed and the, the FPV camera on the inspire two is yeah. just 
trash. You can't see much. You can, I mean, you can make out objects, but it's, you, right. you can't see like the intricacies. And so I was trying to put this tree in the foreground and I flew by it multiple times with no issues. And this time I just got pushed by a, a pretty strong gust yeah. and the drone went, the, one of the blades struck a dead branch and the drone kept flying. But I saw, I saw it do a little thing like, you know, it was kind of wobbling. I'm like, oh boy. And so I'm bringing it in. And as, as the drone's coming in, I see it and I'm, it's, it's start, I can see it wobbling pretty good. And I, I tell the DP and, and my camera operator, I'm like, hey, guys, will you go on the other side of this van uh, while I land this thing? Because uh, it's got to come down. I think we need to change the blade. And so as I'm bringing it in and slowing the speed, slowing the air, yeah. the, the forward airspeed, it starts to to rotate, kind of like a helicopter oh, that lost its okay. tail rotor. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, boy, all right. So now, now I'm picking back speed up to try and, you know, maintain that. And I almost did like a little bit of a running landing with the Inspire 2. I just plopped it on the ground. And I mean, we, you know, we saved the camera package. We saved a, a majority of the drone. We did have to replace a, replace a prop and uh, the left arm on the drone. Um, but that was, uh, that's that was my bad. crash. Yeah, okay, not that's bad not for, too bad. That's not too bad. Not bad for a lot of flights. Yeah. I think, dude, I, I remember telling people, I was like, I flew, I flew more on that job than I flew like the entire last year. It was wow. hours of wow. flying. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. yeah it's, you know what? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's really not that bad of a crash. I mean, I've, I've had worse myself. Uh, <laughs> now I, I want to let you go, but really quickly, let's talk about, um, I, I know from other conversations with you, you're trying to get back into, you know, shaping your body and just getting back to, you know, the best condition that you can, can be at this point at this stage in your yeah. life. Um, so what are you doing now? Like what, what's your morning routine? Are you lifting weights? Anything else? Yeah, like that? I uh, definitely, definitely getting back into the gym more. Yeah. Um, it's it's always been a battle, you know, since I got sick because I have to I have to balance out the the. I'm definitely more sore than I used to be, right? Yeah. Um, like after a workout, you know, you, yeah, you work out, you're sore, you're like, oh, yeah. I'm sore, and you're good for a day or two, and then yeah. you're back in. Yeah. This lasts a little bit longer now. Um, the lactic acid builds up a lot faster. I don't know what's going on with that. Because of the um, condition or the audio? Yeah, yeah, I mean, something with that, yeah. yeah. Um, and so uh, I, I don't know everything that's going on in, in my body that's that's causing the unusual right. length of soreness. Um, but it's it's one of those things where I have to kind of balance the recovery with the lifting. Right. Um, so a lot of kind of the goals that I try to achieve now really – I get there by, by dialing in uh, no different than when I was competing. It's, it's dialing yeah. in that diet. Right. Um, and that's, that's where, you know, abs are made in the kitchen. That's what they say. Right. And so, uh, and exactly. And so it, it's, it's dialing back, going out to eat with the friends, which in LA, I feel like every single day you're going out to eat and I, I oh, let's go grab a bite, you know? And, and so it's, I, I, I always joked about it, but like bodybuilding, physique competitions, that type of thing is without a doubt, the most selfish sport. Of course, there. like the food preparation, the yeah. gym, the, you know, all the workouts, the, the, the amount of sleep. Yeah. I mean, it's just very much a, a tremendous amount of time spent on yourself. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I, while, while I don't see myself going down that route again of, of wanting to compete, like to or, compete. Or, yeah, know, that's a different fitness model. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's not what I want to do anymore. Um, but I still want to, I still want to, you know, have a, a healthy physique and I want to be able to perform and, and, um, have that, have that kind of athletic prowess. Is that, is that an accurate? Well, yeah, no, for sure. And also I think that would translate very well into, you know, being a pilot and keeping your, 
keeping your body healthy is going to lead to a healthier mind and it's going to keep you sharp and allow you to fly yeah. at a high level for longer. Um, sure. You know, as you age, we're all slowing down. I can feel it already. I just turned 37 mm. and uh, I'm staying sore. Right. I, I, but I like, I have a lot of things that uh, are going on in this body that you can't see from the outside. Like my shoulder yeah. is just totally messed up. Mm. Mm -hmm. certain angles like doing an incline bench press on a certain angle. I just can't do it. Like it's, it's so painful. Yeah. Um, so, you know, things like that and uh, recovery time is going down. And I hear you, man. And, and, and you know, here you talk about your shoulder and, and you know, I have my autoimmune thing. It's like mm -hmm. one thing I really, really started to appreciate when I got back into the gym after I was yeah. sick was I have no idea yeah. what is happening inside of your mind or your body yeah. when I see you in the gym. If mm -hmm. you're doing some exercise and I'm like, oh man, no. But like the old me yeah. would have been like, you know, why is this guy sitting here, you know, hogging up this machine? Well, maybe he needs a break from this. Or you're like, I, I right. really stopped. I really stopped judging in the gym right. uh, after that happened. Cause I, you have no idea. You have no idea. That's funny you said that because I yeah, have not even just in the gym, just in general judging. Yeah, right, like, right. I, I have no idea. Yeah. Like you never know what's going on. I always say you never know what's going on, you know, um, in, in somebody's, uh, bedroom or like behind closed doors, like when yeah. you're not with them, when it, when you, when you are not privy to being able to listen to them or see what they're doing, uh, you never know what somebody's going through. But, uh, in regards to the gym, I stopped recently judging myself and comparing mm -hmm. myself to other people because I yeah. used to be victim of, uh, ego lifting. And if somebody was lifting another 10 pounds, I'd try to put it up as well. Cause I'd want to show this guy who I've never yeah. seen in my life that I was as strong as he was. And right. then maybe for the next two weeks, I wouldn't be able to lift. Cause I had yeah. pushed it too far. But so, so now I'm really good. I've sort of calmed down my whole mentality and I'm able to just focus on what I need to do. Yep. And I'm not training for competitions. I'm not training for anything. I just really want to you know, be healthy, have energy for my kids. I want to look good. I've been out of shape my mm -hmm. whole life. I've, I was even at a point of obesity. So this for me is, this mm -hmm. is all new. And it's something that I appreciate on a level that I know is much higher than I would have appreciated it if I had been like this my whole life. You know what I mean? Well, it, on that note, like this is something that I really, really hard find when I'm talking about fitness. And that's like, just like, the work you put in, in yeah. the gym and in the diet does not just pay dividends in the mirror. Like exactly. it pays dividends everywhere Yeah, in everywhere. It will show in your life, yeah. how you talk and to people, here, how you interact. Most importantly, oh, yeah. in, like, in the mental health. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, in the career, everything, yeah. it's how you present yourself, how you hold yourself. It's, it's everything, man. It is everything. It really is. And that's, you know, that, that kind of brings us to the end of uh, my line of questioning. I could keep you for, hours are really good because I've had a lot of fun speaking <laughs> to you, man. I really have. Um, and I have no, probably another page or two of questions that I wrote down, but uh, I've had you here for an hour. So I do want to start turning up the music to suggest yeah, yeah, yeah. that we might be doing an outro. <laughs> and I wanted to thank you again so much for joining me. This has been a lot of fun. Absolutely. And Absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, we covered a lot and I'm excited. I, I almost want to have you back on because I, I know there's so much more we could get into, but uh Dude, you're the you best. Got my number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate it, TJ. And uh, hey, oh, do you want to plug yeah. any Instagram 
channels or anything like that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, how do we find uh, you? Check, yeah, Instagram is uh, TJ period Millard, M-I-L-L-A-R-D. All right. Check him Twitter, out there. I, I don't know. I don't really use Twitter, but it's there. He's incredible. He's <laughs> handsome. He looks like Robert Downey Jr. He is TJ Millard. Thank you. See you, bud. And fade to black.